This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state, and by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for listening. Traditionally and historically, food banking has used a need based message to tell the story of our work and the families that we serve. However, during this once-in-a-century public health crisis, the United States and state governments have responded to the need across the country and created programs, enacted legislation, and has helped to lift many families out of poverty. The impact of advocacy regarding SNAP, PEBT, TFAP, trade mitigation, the child tax credit, and others have all played an important role in driving food insecurity rates down, perhaps to their lowest rate in 40-plus years. Congratulations to everyone. So now, what's our message? How do we pivot to address the current level of need, and can we expect this current situation to last? And if so, for how long? As the economy reengages, what role do food banks have in helping people lift themselves out of poverty and stay out? Here are a couple of thoughts Jerry is sure to remind us of today as we break down this unprecedented opportunity in our history. First, the problem has never been solved, so we must continue to help people find the access to the food they need especially in the poorest communities. The obstacle for food insecure families is the same now as pre-pandemic. Trade-offs on necessities. It's better now than it's been, but it still isn't solved. Next, understanding the levels of food security and the lived experience are critical to going to the next level of food security statewide. Our resident thought leader, Jerry Brisson, joins me next on how we are pivoting, adjusting, and learning, readying our network to help others where they need us. We will preview the Michigan Policy Conference led by the Detroit Chamber. Their theme is reimagining a healthy Michigan. I think we might have a thought or two about how to achieve that. Plus, it's Hunger Action Month. What opportunities exist for involvement in our work are just ahead on this edition of Food First Michigan. everyone. Jerry Brisson joins me. Jerry, great to see you on Zoom as we continue to produce another show uh, virtually, hybrid, kind of, sort of. We're not in the studio, in other words. Yeah, but Mark makes it sound just like we're in the studio, so we should take a minute and thank Mark for his hard work. Uh, You know, it's uh, it's amazing how we've been able to pivot in so many ways, including how to do this show. So, great to see you as well, Doctor, and uh, and we're going to be together up at the policy conference, and I know you mentioned it uh, already, but uh, 
that'll be the first radio show we've done together since when? March of last year? At least. At March of last year. And Mark Blackwell, of course, our producer who uh, makes us sound better than we really are, um, will continue to work his magic for us as we uh, gather interviews uh, at the Mackinac Policy Conference, sponsored by the Detroit Chamber of Commerce. And uh, we have a pretty all-star lineup. Uh, Jerry, have you seen the theme for the conference this year? I think you might have a thought about uh, their theme this year. It's reimagining a healthy Michigan. Yeah, what a great theme and appropriate in so many ways. But, you know, I think especially appropriate when we look at what we do with food security and uh, and how food is medicine, right? Food is so connected to people's health and what people eat and their access to nutritious food is one of the things that drives health, especially for kids, right? We know that kids uh, thrive when they have enough to eat and enough nourishing food to eat and struggle more than they should have to when they don't. So it's a great theme as far as I'm concerned and as far as our work is concerned as we try to say, what is the new normal? What if the new normal were no hungry children in Michigan? What if that were the new normal? Wow, what a great vision for tomorrow, for sure. So reimagining a healthy Michigan. Let me, let me think who would agree with that. Mm, maybe Abraham Maslow. Yeah, right. <laughs> Someone we've quoted know. several times. Uh, you know, a couple of times on this show. In fact, he's a foundational um, uh, value for our work statewide that it really should be, uh, we should think about right after air, right in there with water. You got to think about food. Food first. And if every child in Michigan had access to healthy, nutritious food that they both want and need, Wow, what a future Michigan would have in regard to health, in regard to education, and in regard, in regard to workforce. That's a pretty good vision for tomorrow, I'd say. Yeah, it sounds like a, a good reimagination of a healthy Michigan. And of course, we're doing so much work with our partners in healthcare right now to look at how we can reach people we've never reached before. And I know another thing that you talked about in the monologue is that food insecurity has never been solved. And, you know, as we're reimagining a healthy Michigan, uh, it's nice to touch on that point because one of the groups that's been hard to reach are seniors, especially homebound seniors who are hungry mm. and, and can't find their way to the grocery store. Now, there's a lot of services that seniors can get now to deliver deliver groceries right to their home, but not every senior can take advantage of those services. And so we're working with healthcare um, to try to find a way to reach some of those seniors who are at home, who don't have other means of getting food, and who depend on food as part of their treatment plan so that they can be healthier too. So it's kind of both ends of the spectrums we're talking about here, kids and seniors, but both deeply impacted by the food they have in their life and uh, and people we have to think about when we try to reimagine a healthy Michigan. Yeah, you know, Jerry, we're doing that with healthcare too, but, you know, um, we just met a few weeks ago and um, 
And people who know about food banking will, will readily get this. Those of you who are maybe not quite as familiar with us uh, won't get it quite as fixed. So let me see if I can help. Food banks started some 40 years ago across the nation. Gleaners, the, where you're the president and CEO, is the oldest food bank in Michigan. And food banks were started, and they all had designated service territories. And those pretty much still exist until today. We have a grant from the Feeding America, our, our, the National Food Bank, our, our, our parent organization, um, to help us understand and learn how can food banks work across their boundaries and work together to address a specific need. And I'll hearken everyone back to our website, foodfirstmi, foodfirstmi.org, and they could find a show that we did with Dr. Dawn Opal that talks about this boundless strategy, something that goes beyond boundaries of food banks, and how do we use the great things, the best things, the centers of excellence, so to speak, of each of our food banks to address a specific need in the community. And one of those needs is homebound seniors, homebound disabled uh, residents of Michigan, and how the three food banks, Gleaners, Food Gatherers, and the South Michigan Food Bank are all working together to meet the needs of those populations all across the southern tier of our state. It's pretty exciting work work that's never been done, and so we're uh, no pressure there to make this happen, but it's work that's never been done before, and we're excited to be some of the first ones to try to do it. Yeah, we're reimagining a healthy Michigan, it sounds like to me. I think so. I think so. So, hey, Jerry, it's, we're a little early in this show, so let's take a quick break here, and then when we come back, I want us to talk about some of the things that have been happening uh, in regard to how we're telling the story about our work now and some of the great things that we partnered with our federal and state governments in order to achieve and uh, what role the food banks are playing now and what do we see the role is in the future as we imagine along with the Detroit Chamber reimagining a healthy Michigan. Jerry and I are back in just a moment. You come back and be with us too. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining Jerry Brisson, the CEO and president at Gleaners Community Food Bank and the reigning president for the board of directors for the Food Bank Council of Michigan. That happens to be my place of employment. And uh, Jerry, the Food Bank Council of Michigan recently had a board meeting, and I'm going to tell you, I, it was hybrid. Some people were in the room, and some people were on Zoom, and it was a great meeting. Yeah, I it worked okay. Our, I, I like the equipment that you had. You had that camera that, you know, you could see everybody in the room, uh, and then you had the screens in the room so you could see everybody's face who wasn't in the room, and at least everyone had some opportunity to interact with each other. Still, it's a discipline we're still learning, right, how to, how to have the most effective meetings in either virtual or, or environments that have some component of virtual, but I thought it worked pretty well. I did too, and I thought we covered some really good ground it was strategic, and uh, even in a governance meeting, it was strategic, and uh, I just appreciate your leadership there and the participation of all of our board. We have at-large members now. They're going to be uh, guests on our show in the coming weeks. 
uh, John Roberts from Emergent Holdings, Paula Cunningham from AARP, and Scott Pickett from the Michigan Farm Bureau are all now members of our board and will be joining us here on this show in just the coming weeks ahead to hear their perspective of why they think they want to be involved in this mission of creating a food-secure state. Well, one of the clear reasons is because we have such a good food bank council. I will say, Doctor, uh, you make our, our jobs easier by uh, your excellence and the excellence of your staff. And it's been uh, it's been six or is it close to seven years? So, so it's been seven. We're, we're getting ready to start number eight here. Yeah, so that's a good long time. And, uh, and we've seen a lot of growth. In fact, one of the things we talked about at the board meeting was how uh, the food bank council hit an all-time record in terms of impact uh, last year during COVID. Obviously, there's a lot of reasons for that. We've got to thank our state of Michigan partners, the Michigan Department of Education and the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services for how much they uh, really made possible, but also then depended on us to be able to help them get the things done that they needed to get done. It was a great uh, public-private partnership, uh, but well led by you and your staff, Phil. I don't know how we could have done it without you and, and literally brought um, millions and millions of pounds of food food and meals and uh, and home delivery and so many other things to our community. You know, when we first started talking about Food First Michigan and, and what it would be like to have a food secure state, uh, we certainly imagined that some of these opportunities would come along when the community needed them. Uh, but it's the next step when your imagination becomes real. So phenomenal work. And uh, and as you said earlier, you know, uh, we, we actually reached the lowest food insecurity rates in our time. Um, the, it's not something that's been measured for 100 years. So there's, you know, there's not uh, an ability to go back forever in history and look at all of the historical moment, moments. But certainly since we've been tracking what is food insecurity in Michigan? Uh, the the pandemic uh, really gave us an opportunity to up how many people we could reach, and we did reach those people. And as a result, with all of the help they got from government programs and food banks and and uh, and those that could stay employed and everything combined, resulted in the lowest food insecurity rate ever. Now, it still right. isn't fixed. Right, it still isn't solved. There are still kids that uh, that don't have enough food while they're trying to learn. There's still seniors that aren't being reached, and so I don't want to exaggerate what we could do. I want to make sure people understand we are still working at what is that ultimate solution for a food secure state. But we can all be pretty proud, and I hope our, you, our listeners, can take some pride in as well in what you've done to help. Uh, during this crisis time because it really made a difference for a lot of people. Yeah, so I think that's really the uh, essence of the show today, Jerry, that, um, that this this great work of advocacy um, for uh, that has come about on behalf of people who found themselves to be, who were food insecure prior to the pandemic, who found themselves to be food insecure during the pandemic and all of the government programs that were able to scale and the legislations that were created in order to address this need. So we could go through that whole litany, but we don't need to do that. Let me put it in, 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 um, in just a little bit of perspective. With everything that the government did to address this drastic need of food insecurity across the nation, they still needed the food bank network in America, Feeding America, 
to do on average about 47% more than they had ever done in our history. That number is precise for Michigan. The most food we'd ever distributed in Michigan prior to this year was 165 million pounds. How you put that into a category, I don't, I don't really know. But what we did was increase off of that by about 47% to do almost 250 million pounds of food. And so the, all the government help, all the private charity, emergency food help that we were able to garner and muster, still, it lowered the rate probably to the lowest it's been in over 40 years, and it still didn't solve it. That should give us a pretty good indication about how deep this need goes into our communities. Well, um, it can be a little depressing, <laughs> uh, but but I, I think that's why we've got to be um, really deliberate about who is at the table to help solve the problem. Because um, in order to really get at all of the dynamics of human life, right? And, and what makes it so that people are food insecure, whether that's unemployment or whether it's a health issue. A big one is a loss of breadwinner from the home. And that's through death mm -hmm. and divorce. You know, things that people have some control over and things that people have no control over. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of complicated things that make life challenging. But uh, even more so for people who are very low income. Every little challenge can throw you into a different kind of a crisis. And so we know that not every job in Michigan pays a living wage. In fact, we know that of the 10 most popular jobs or the most populous jobs in Michigan, only one pays a living wage, and that's nursing. And the rest pays somewhat less than a living wage. What that means is if you're working 40, 50, maybe even 60 hours a week, sometimes you can't pay the rent anyway. Well, you know, mm -hmm. you can't ask for a person to work more than that, can you? Uh, and so, no. so what what do you do in this complex environment? And that's what we're about. You know, we figure out what you can do. And we look at policies that incentivize work. And we look at policies that that include uh, food as medicine and health care. And we look at policies where maybe we can help education provide food to families, not only more, but better. And, and you know, all of these all of these strategies are ways to create a safety net that really works for everyone. So we don't want to bemoan the fact that the problem hasn't been solved. What we want to do is say, we know that it hasn't been solved, but that doesn't mean it cannot be solved. And so we will solve it, and we're going to solve it through deliberate efforts and actions with partners who are like-minded, who never want to see the words child and hunger go together, right? And, and, mm. and that's the... That's the opportunity we have in front of us. Yeah, it's exciting. So I'm sorry if I sounded a little, uh, you know, uh, downer or something. I, I really meant that to be a really a great thing. We got as close to we've ever been to solving the problem. That's probably how <laughs> I should have said it. I didn't mean to come across like a Debbie Downer there or something or a David Downer. I, I wanted to come across as like, hey, we're so dang close here, people. Let's learn from this and let's apply what we learn and then let's take the next steps to finish this thing. 
Yeah, and we do. I mean, I, I think another exciting thing is uh, infrastructure, which is kind of a boring topic in and of itself. I mean, no, <laughs> most people don't get all excited and giggly when they see a big distribution center. They go, wow, that's a big building. So, so But we do, because when we see these big buildings, we go, that's the capacity we need right there. And, and that's the capacity the state of Michigan needs. Again, food banks have an important role to play. We're not going to solve you know, even most of the problem by ourselves, very small part of the problem if you just consider us alone. But when you consider what we can do in partnership with, with all the people who want to solve this problem, suddenly the light gets brighter and the possibilities grow. But you still need the capacity, the fundamental, you know, boxes in, boxes out capacity with trucks and buildings and loading docks and, and partner agencies who can be out in the community, who people trust and believe in. And I mean, all those things together are what really bring the spotlight to uh, how close we were and how much we believe we can get over the finish line. Well, stay with us because Jerry and I are going to keep imagining or reimagining a healthy Michigan and what roles food banks play, what uh, the impact has been over the last several years, and what we think we're going to be able to do in the next several years together. You come back and be with us. We're going to be right here. Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. We're back here, Dr. Phil Knight with you and Jerry Brisson. Uh, Jerry, excited. We mentioned it earlier in the show. I'm excited to see you next week at the Mackinac Policy Conference sponsored by the Detroit Chamber of Commerce out on Mackinac Island. And we'll be recording uh, this show on uh, Wednesday morning, I think. Uh, up there at the in the uh, parlor of the Grand Hotel, and uh, we've got an all-star lineup. I'm not going to tell you who they are yet, but we've got an all-star lineup that's going to be with us that day. Well, we've been fortunate to have an all-star lineup there the years that we've recorded up there. I think this will be the fourth or fifth time. The fourth time. Fourth time we've recorded up at the policy conference, and there's a lot of people up there that are that are um, our friends and our partners who we're eager to talk to, to get their perspective on food security in Michigan. And of course, they help bring us up to date on other things happening in Michigan that intersect with all this, right? So, so as you said earlier, the reimagining a healthy Michigan theme fits well with our show. Uh, we literally sit in the middle of the porch area area of the of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island um, though we do stay down the hill I want to just say <laughs> but uh, but nonetheless uh, it's 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 the hubbub of activity it's great to be in the center there uh, seeing all the people that come around and and then being able to interview them for the benefit of of our listeners so uh, it's exciting for us and hopefully exciting for you um, even though we're leaving you hanging a little bit right this second it's the it's the cliffhanger show for Food First Michigan. That's right. That's right. Hey, Jerry, let me ask you to explain something for me, to me and, um, and maybe for a couple of folks here who don't quite get this. I said in the monologue that one of the things that's really important for us as we uh, tr really try to go to the next level of food security across the state is understanding the levels of food insecurity. What, you know, I, I know the USDA kind of has a, a, a chart or a grid of this, 
But one of the things you've said on the show for years now is that there's a segment of the population that that maybe two or three weeks out of the month, they, they, they're okay. They got this. They, they're fine. And then maybe one week out of the month, they need someone to come alongside of them and help them. And then you go all the way down to people who are really more severe uh, in food insecurity. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? Well, let's start with, on average, a person who's considered food insecure um, misses five meals a week, on average. So when you look at the whole spectrum of people who maybe don't miss meals uh, every week and people who are missing 20 meals every week, right? I mean, now, that's a lot right? There's, there's, there's only so many meals in a week, uh, right? I mean, uh, now, you know, if you take a look at me, you might say there's more than 21. But, but you know, for most people, it's, it's breakfast, lunch, and dinner, seven days a week is 21 meals. So if you miss five meals in a week, that's a lot of meals, right? That's a, that's a good percentage. So those people are getting some help. It doesn't mean they're missing all the meals, absolutely. But what it means is that's the number of meals they have to try to find beyond the income that they're getting either from work or from other means, right? So so now we start looking at the spectrum, right? The spectrum. The unfortunate truth is the group that's most commonly food insecure are kids. That's still true today because raising kids is wow. expensive and you have to have a job that pays a certain amount of money if you're going to raise kids. And so the group that is most often at risk of missing five or more meals a week is kids. So so one of the things we have to be able to do is walk alongside school-age kids and their families, whatever they're going through and for whatever reason, because kids don't get a second chance at kid. You get one childhood. That's the only childhood you get. And then whatever happened during that is is how you grew up and what you grow into. So we want to make sure that we walk along with uh, kids and families, especially who are food insecure, and make sure they don't miss any meals. Well, how do you do that? Well, you work with schools. You, you, you work with neighborhood groups. You work with anyone who has a reach into those kids and families, and you find out who's missing meals. And we can get some information from the national databases and things like that, but that doesn't cover all of what we need to know. There's, there's a lot of people who will never admit to you that they're struggling. Because it's embarrassing, because they don't want to have to talk about it, right? And so getting the right help to people in the right way is a complicated effort. It requires uh, trust relationships with with a lot of different organizations. And uh, increasingly, it requires the ability to capture information when you talk to people so you can go back and start to say, hey, look, we saw 100 people last week, and this is what they told us. And based on all the things they've told us, we can start to say, gosh, look, there's profiles of people that look just like this around them, I bet their stories are going to be similar. And you can start to then map out with a lot more accuracy who's hungry, how often they're hungry, how much help they need, and for how long. And that, of course, becomes the the way to know what the safety net has to do. Now, all of this is happening while the target is constantly moving. As people get more uh, food stamps, which is now called SNAP in Michigan, it's EBT, all the same program, that there's, there's more of that now than there has been. And so that reduces the number of people that need us to help them get those meals. That's good. 
That's good. We also know as kids are going back to school, they're getting more meals in school. And so that reduces the number of people that need our pantry network and the people we're working with. That's good. That's good, right? All that's really positive. Now we got to make sure what of that is permanent and what of that is temporary. And if it's temporary, how do we start building the food supply chain now to make up for those meals when that assistance goes away? And that's the mm-hmm. dynamics of this environment of food security. It's not... It's not something that stays a certain way and all you got to do is fix this piece and then that piece is fixed forever, right? It's, it's a lot of different efforts that it takes to continue to move as the community needs more help. And I do want to say, as the employment issues get better, that's the biggest possible help, right? That's how people want to feed their families. And so, so we're eager to see these employment numbers go up. We're eager to see where we need to be who we need to serve, and again, how much help do they need and for how long, and that's how we're going to create a safety net that really works for everyone. So I'm not sure I captured the the whole no. uh, dimensionality of the problem there, Doctor, but it's how we think about it, and it's what we know we have to be here to solve. Uh, so that was an excellent synopsis, Jerry. Um, I, you got the cookies on the right shelf. I even understood them. So uh, you know, uh, short of uh, short of giving me uh, 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 crayons, I don't think you could have done it any simpler. <laughs> so I appreciate it very much. You know, let me pick up on one theme here that I think is is really important. Um, you know, probably during the first year that we did this show, um, we we did we did a show and we talked about uh, the four biggest tools in the anti hunger toolbox, and uh, one of those four was, of course, a job. Uh, a job that pays uh, a, a good wage, a, a job that pays a wage that is equivalent to self-sufficiency. And I think that's kind of the goal that every one of us who want to see this problem solved, whether you're a liberal or a conservative or something in between, or if you're a person who is uh, struggling with food insecurity, at whatever the level that you just described, self-sufficiency not wanting, not needing the, the charitable food network or not needing government assistance. That's where everybody wants to be. And so I, I don't think we can displace the, the value of, of work and of a job that pays a wage that enables people to be self-sufficient and be able to, to, to provide for their families themselves. And, um, and of course, what about what have to happen is uh, as we look at the self-sufficiency standard and, and the, the jobs that pay the, the employ the greatest number of people that you mentioned, only one of those out of the top 10 pays a self-sufficiency wage. So wages are gonna have to run fast to catch up with the need, and we want them to do that. Yeah, you know, the only thing I would add to that to kind of deepen the, the, the conversation one more level, you know, make that stew just a little bit richer. There are some jobs that because of the nature of the work, it's hard for wages to catch up. And, and you look mm-hmm. at, you know, simple things like what do you want to pay for lunch? Well, I can tell you this, if, if you paid everyone in the back of, of the restaurant a self-sufficiency wage, your cost for lunch would go up and it would go up a significant amount. So those, those businesses can't necessarily pay what a self-sufficiency wage might be. So what do you do then, right? Well, you've got to help those businesses. You've got to help those businesses by, by making sure their employees qualify for programs that can, that can soften that 
a reality for them. You've got to make sure that that there's incentives for those businesses to pay more if they can. You've got to you've got to think about all the policies that connect to those businesses that need that kind of help, so that the whole community can benefit. And those are again complicated issues, but those are the issues in front of us that we've got to be willing to face. So what is the is the sum total of wages plus supports that's going to help a family be food secure. And we've got to face the truth of that. If child care is just too expensive for a family to afford on the wages they can make at the available jobs that they can get, well, we got to make sure those families have affordable child care one way or the other, or we're never going to get them out of food insecurity, right? Now, what does that mean for food banks, right? Well, for food banks, it means how do we partner with those businesses and with the people trying to solve the programs to figure out how food banks can plug in and make the cost go down as much as possible so that we can reach as many people as possible who fall into those categories. So, you know, without overcomplicating things, uh, I'm a big believer that that self-sufficiency wages are important, but I'm also a big believer that it's not always possible and you've got to have more than one tool in your tool bag if you're really going to solve that problem. Excellent point, Jerry. We've got to take a quick break here, but wouldn't it, wouldn't it be a great day when work supports actually supported work? It would be indeed. <laughs> it would be indeed. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight, we're back in just a moment. Uh, thanks for everybody. This is our last segment for today's show. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here. This is Food First Michigan, one of the top rated podcasts in all of America that deals with food insecurity. Heard here on WJR, preserved as a podcast on WJR.com, as well as at Food First Michigan. And you can find us at wherever you find your podcast, Google Play, Apple, wherever. You can find us, Jerry. We're all over the place. Well, it's a good thing, and people are finding us. Uh, I can't wait to display the the banner up at uh, the policy conference. It's going to talk about how the show has grown and how many more people are listening now. And uh, it's exciting because it takes it takes a movement to really get the safety net right. And I think we're building it, and it's exciting to see happening. Well, momentum's your best friend or your worst enemy, and right now she's is working with us and is working for us with a, a pretty significant growth uh, trajectory here over the first four years of the show where listenership has increased by some 1,200%. Yeah, that means it's, you know, significantly more than our sisters, which I do <laughs> think we should give a shout out to our sisters who have managed to be with us this whole time. <laughs> Absolutely. And they remain so to this day. God bless them. So... Jerry, we talked about several topics today, um, and and I just I want to just review really quickly here that you know our our messaging uh, has has pivoted a bit. We have a role to play in the recovery, the economic recovery of this nation, because you know whether you're before the pandemic, during the pandemic, or post pandemic, if you're hungry, if you're hungry, if you're worried about food in your household. How many problems do you have? Just one. Until that one is solved, that's the problem you have. Right. Your mind's just never free to think about other pursuits when you're consumed with the idea of what am I going to eat and what am I going to be able to give to my kids. 
And um, Jerry, I think in the, in the weeks coming up, we, we talked about some of our new board members coming on the show here. We're excited about that. But one of the emphasis that we're going to look at is trauma-informed service. And it's a study that's been done that really talks a lot about what the stress, how, how much stress is created when you live in, uh, whether you're the parent or the child of a food insecure home. And that stress creates a lot of trauma for people. It does, and it's long-lasting, right? I mean, one of the things we talk about frequently is how feeding people today isn't just a short-term um, impact, right? That feeding people today has much longer-term impacts on health, on development, uh, and in so many other things in people's lives. And so um, so we do think of the work we do as enabling every other solution, whether you're working on root causes or whether you're working on wraparound services, you've got to address people's hunger needs today if you want them to be successful tomorrow. There's, there's no way to do one without the other. Yeah, if you're talking about changing policy, that's a pretty long-term process, right? I mean, it was Rob Fowler who was on our show that said, you know, hey, it was policymakers who, who wrote these policies and voted on them, enacted them, brought them to life, and it's really only policymakers that can change them, and that's definitely a process. So we can't stop feeding people today until we get the policy fixed. We've got to be able to do both. Righto, righto. Well, time for a little food for thought, Jerry. So what is our current message? Here it is. We are a large part of the solution, the long-term solution to creating food security. Listen, it's straightforward. When hunger is taken off the table for people who have more month than money, they can focus on finding their next success. The objective is for everyone who is willing and able to become self-sufficient. And if that is the agreed-upon goal, so people are less dependent upon benefits from the government and charity, then let's start with the end in mind. What does it take for someone, a family, to be self-sufficient? And what are some of the considerations for establishing that standard for families in need? Next, we can build policies and programs to meet that objective. We do this while we are helping others solve hunger in their households today. It is not either or, it's both together at the same time. But we start with keeping food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state.